The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Just about an hour ago, I was on air with the future of cars with Game Changers, and I changed the intro from run with the Game Changers to ride with the Game Changers. So here we are on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. The buzz today on the street, the end of the green eye shade and the banker's lamp in the basement. Ooh, what is she talking about? Okay, let's get started. Finance departments typically had to wait until period end. You know we're talking month end, quarter end, year end for data compilation intensive financial reports, not to mention spreadsheets. When is the data coming? Well, it's not ready. The reports are still running. Wow, how are we going to do anything with the business? So what was the impact? Well, think about it. Strategic business decisions were waiting, depending, relying on a rear view mirror. What happened in the past? No look ahead. Well, that has all changed. Technology today is available that lets companies, we're talking startups, mid-sized companies to what I call the behemoth enterprises, to integrate everything. They put together the closing tasks, the processes, the systems with the core ERP and the accounting environments. And guess what? Click, click. Remember when you had a camera that had a button that you really clicked? Uh-huh. I'm not talking about the cell phone. It's creating a business snapshot when at any time you want it. Wow, revelation and important opportunities here. So big question for all of you. Take off those eye shades. Is your company ready to see the light? We're going to talk about what this all means to your business and to your finance department. We have three experts on the topic. I'll introduce in just a moment Robert D. Kugel at Ventana Research, welcoming him back. We have a new panelist, Suzanne Ruloffs, Senior Manager at I. IT Advisory at EY, Ernst & Young in the Netherlands, and we are also welcoming back Jeff Hattendorf, the COO of Macrospect Inc., which he co-founded with Randy Marvel in 2005. So let's get started. I have a wonderful quote here from Robert Kugel. I'm going to probably morph into Rob from time to time, but we said we'd try to be formal. Robert has sent me a quote from Peter Drucker, who, as you probably know because he's quoted so often here on Game Changers, was an Austrian-born American management consultant educator and author, and he was a leader in the development of management education. That's right, management needed to learn. He invented the concept known as MBO, those of us who have been using it or subject to it. It's management by objectives and self-control, what a thought, and he's been described as the founder of modern management. Here is the quote Robert has selected. There is surely nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency what should not be done at all. Yet our tools, especially our accounting concepts and data, all focus on efficiency. Robert, how are you? I'm well, buddy. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome back. It's been a long time. How have you been? Everything good at Ventana? 
Yes, yes, we're uh, putting right along here. I'm glad. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Drucker. I don't think I've seen this in a long time. Is he one of your favorite icons in terms of management and other good things? Uh, y- yes, he is. He was uh, way ahead of his time uh, and, and you know, invented a lot of the concepts that are now at work in, uh, in how we run companies and how we use technology uh, to run companies. And, and I chose this one. Um, which uh, originally appeared in the May 1963 Harvard Business Review, um, mm. because we can appreciate the progress that we've made uh, and haven't made since then. Um, at, at the time, uh, there were so many constraints in, in, in the actual use of technology um, that we were forced to, forced to uh, you know, when we thought about the numbers, they were the accounting numbers. It, it really mm-hmm. took about a quarter century from when that article appeared uh, before an engineer at a company called Analog Devices came up with what was the original balance scorecard, um, a method for balancing efficiency-focused um, accounting metrics against operational effectiveness metrics. And he was fairly insistent that they should be looking at those numbers, not just at the accounting numbers. Uh, now, not long after that, a couple of Harvard Business School professors you know, came out to Route 128 uh, and talked to him and elaborated that into the, the actual concept of the balanced scorecard. So you know, today, many, many companies are doing a much, much better job of doing the right thing. Uh, but technology, for all its virtues, has been a constraint um, for this past quarter century, indeed, you know, the past 50 years. Um, it can do more, uh, but mostly um, technology has given us incremental improvements, and especially in finance and accounting. It hasn't had the capability of being truly transformational until now. Um, new database technology, in-memory processing, they all have the ability to change how finance and accounting functions uh, work for the better. It can eliminate a significant amount of work that's now done by accountants, uh, which improves departmental efficiency. But it also speeds up the availability of performance data and information mm-hmm which improves effectiveness. It sounds exciting. Is this breaking news, Rob? I, I often ask this to my panelists here on Financial Excellence. Is this breaking news? Is there a company anywhere in the world that has a finance department and which who doesn't is, is maybe tuning in today and saying, oh, my goodness, new tools. Wow, we can actually look ahead instead of back and waiting for somebody to churn out those damn reports. Is this breaking news or is this something that they know about but they're not quite sure they're ready for? No, no, they've been told that this is this is what reality is when it hasn't been reality. So they've been oversold on this idea ah. and are probably by now very skeptical that we finally are at this transformational point. But uh, uh, I, I think we are. It's going to take uh, the better part of a decade uh, for all of this to come into play in a mainstream sort of way, in part because uh, our data shows that companies only change their ERP systems every, you know, about every eight years. Uh, at this point. So uh, no one's, I think, going to throw out their existing ERP system. It's too expensive and and hair-raising to do that. Uh, But as they do and as they begin to make use of these new technologies, they'll be able to um, uh, rethink how they manage their accounting processes in the accounting department. 
Thank you very much. I like that word skeptical. That's a clever answer that I don't think I've heard yet. And that, I think, is our reality check of the day. Thank you so much, Robert. Pleasure to have you back. And now let's welcome our newcomer to the panel. She is Suzanne Ruloffs. I'll spell that in case anybody wants to find her. R-O-E-L-O-F-S. Senior Manager IT Advisory at EY. She's calling from the Netherlands. And Suzanne has selected a wonderful quote from Lucille Ball. I think this is Lucille's first time on Game Changers Radio. She doesn't know about it because she passed away in 1989. Lucille Desiree Ball, I didn't know her middle name, lived from 1911 to 1989. She was an American actress, comedian, model, film studio executive and producer, best known as the star of the self-produced sitcoms I Love Lucy, the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour with Desi Arnaz, her husband for a time, the Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, and Life with Lucy. Very interesting that she performed on Broadway under a different name. She was Diane Belmont with an one N in Diane and two N's in Diane. But she went into television in the 50s. She met she met Desi Arnaz and they actually eloped and they started the show I Love Lucy, one of the most beloved sitcoms ever in American history. But one thing I want to point out, Suzanne, before I read the quote, in 1962, Lucille Ball became the first woman to run a major TV studio, Desilu Productions, which produced many popular shows, including Mission Impossible and Star Trek. Wow. Here's the quote Suzanne has picked. I'd rather regret the things I've done then regret the things I haven't done. Suzanne Ruloffs, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing well. And thanks for the nice history you just gave. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. I have fun with these looking up the sources of the quotes, which I think are as, as interesting, at least to me and my panelists and hopefully the audience, as the quote itself. So tell me, Suzanne, you're, I can tell from your picture you're very young. Did you ever watch Lucy Ball? Uh, we call her Lucy. Did you ever watch her on TV? And how did you come to pick a quote from her for a show about continuous accounting? That's a lot of questions. Talk to me. No, unfortunately, I don't know her, and I've never watched her shows or anything. Um, but I choose that quote because it's really inspired me, because I'm a little bit a daredevil as well. But in this content, it's more focusing on innovation, which is quite important to me and to my job. So a lot of people are so afraid of changes, I think, especially in their work environments. But the world is changing around us. Um, and it gives a beautiful possibilities, right? So, so why not trying instead of being against up front? And of course, we should think about the impact. But rather regret the things you have done than regret the things you haven't done. Try first and be open for adoption, is my opinion. I like that. And that is so perfect after what Robert Kugel just said. He said they've been promised, over-promised new technology for a long time, and finance leaders, CFOs are skeptical. So you're saying, hey, don't regret it. Give it a try. I like that a lot. Uh, Suzanne, thank you and welcome. And I think you can find some episodes of I Love Lucy probably online. I suggest you go take a peek. I think you will just adore her like the rest oh, of us. Oh, I will. Thanks. N- Nice to meet you. Wonderful quote made me smile. Thank you. And let's bring on our third panelist. He's returning, a returning guest, Jeff Hattendorf, COO of Mac Respect. And Jeff has taken us into movie land with a quote from Yoda in Star Wars 5, The Empire Strikes Back, 1980. And I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but in 2010, this film, The Empire Strikes Back, was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, wait for it, Quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Did you know that, Jeff Hattendorf? <laughs> I did not know that. 
I didn't think so. Okay, so here's the <laughs> quote. This is a great quote. I, I, somebody used it on a show a couple of weeks ago, and I asked if they were going to write it on the side of a, I don't know, a platform on the subway or crochet it on a pillow or whatever people do these days. I don't know, brush painted or something. The quote is, do or do not, there is no try. Love the quote. Jeff Hattendorf, how have you been? Long time. It has been a while. I've been great. Thank you for asking. I'm glad to have you. So, are you a big Yoda fan, big Star Wars fan? And, and how does this quote? We've got skeptical from Robert Kugel. We've got, you got to not regret something you didn't do from Suzanne Ruloffs. And now we have do or do not, there is no try. So, why don't you fit this third part of the puzzle? It's really coming together well. Go ahead. Well, and really, this, the, the quote can be taken to mean, well, you shouldn't even try. You just have to do it or do not. But the reality is, you can't do something without trying. But what the quote speaks to is, is your, your mindset going into something. So if your attitude is we're going to try to do this, we're going to try to get to a continuous accounting, you're probably not going to get there because you have doubt about your organization or the plan or some part of your execution. If you decided, yes, we are going to do this rather than or do not do this, then you're committing yourself, your organization, your team to the success and the outcome. And I think both of the other quotes tie into this one. In the case of the business, you know, feeling like they've been oversold, that's absolutely true. Having been a nerd most of my life, I would also argue that the business doesn't always commit, and sometimes they just want to try and not actually do a project. And if they want to make this move we're going to talk about today, they have to commit to doing. So are they ready, or are they holding back? After listening to the show, hopefully they won't hold back. What do you think? How many CFOs are saying, well, I don't know, Robert Kugel was right, we've been burned, we don't want to try something, there's too much at stake, maybe we'll try it next year, next quarter. What do you, what's the mood out there, Jeff? Well, I think it's, there's a couple of things. One is, and if you think about that famous episode of Lucy where she and, and her friend are working in the chocolate factory and, and the factory is producing chocolate <laughs> faster than they can take care of it. Yes, that company still continued to exist even though those things happened. So yeah. there's this thought that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think the other piece, and I had the CFO say this to me just two weeks ago from a, a very large multinational company that, that his team feels well-served, his constituents feel well-served with the, the information they have today. I think what they're missing is when there's too much chocolate and the people on the line have to eat it or throw it away because it's coming out too fast, the line manager should know that right away. So it's it's the operational piece, which ultimately drives your financials that we have to be aware of. And I think it's a case of they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Are they going to get burned by it? Are they going to have to to swallow the words of Lucille Ball? Are they going to have to regret something that they didn't try? What do you think? They're going to... Most big companies will find a way to survive despite themselves, but there'll be innovators who adapt first who will take away significant chunks of market share because they'll have better information and make better decisions. Thank you, Jeff. I must tell you, I was looking up Yoda on uh, Twitter, and I put in Yoda with a handle, and it came up. You won't believe this. There was a handle out there called the Jedi Economist for Yoda. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) 
I'm not kidding you. How perfect is that for our show today? There's also a DJ Yoda, but we won't we won't bother with that one. Yoda advice. My goodness, yes, it's all over the place. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Robert Kugel, I'm circling around to your part of the table. We're all gathered here virtually on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. And I'm going to ask you a little personal question. I think you remember what it is. Where are you calling from? Not too personal, but what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or what are you planning to drink to celebrate after the show? Robert Kugel. Well, I think a, a Blanco y Negro, that's iced espresso with vanilla ice cream because it makes me wired, cool, and sweet. Oh, say that again. Wired, cool, and sweet? Yes. What's your favorite? You want to be wired? You, what do you want? What's, your, what's no. the one you're really going for? I'm going for balance. Oh, my God. Oh, you are good. You are good. I'm just going to leave that one alone. I like that a lot. We we all feel more balanced now. Thank you. I have to. I have some vanilla ice cream in the freezer, and I haven't used my Nespresso in a couple of days. I've got boxes and boxes, sleeves and sleeves. I'm going to make one of those afterwards. Oh, that's good. Okay, Suzanne Ruloffs, you're in the Netherlands. Where? What time of day is it? And what are you drinking now or after the show? Yeah, I'm located in the Netherlands, as you probably can hear, but it's after six here, and it's 30 degrees outside, which is extremely hot for us. Um, so I, maybe I will make you a little bit jealous, uh, because I will make myself a milkshake after the show, because... Oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> of course, of course, with fresh milk. Um, so Dutch, I'm Dutch, I'm from the land of the dairy, so of course we need milk. Um, with fresh fruit, which is healthy, and some ice cream, and all homemade, and the taste will be great. Oh, my goodness. What flavor? Would it be a chocolate or vanilla or strawberry or coffee? Or what's, what's your favorite strawberry? flavor milkshake? Strawberry. I oh. prefer strawberry. <laughs> yes. I start every day with a little milkshake here. I take half a banana, a little tiny bit of ice cream, whatever's in the freezer, a little bit of agave syrup, uh, 1% milk, and I put it in a little personal size blender made by Hamilton Beach. They're about fourteen ninety-five U.S. dollars. You can get them on Amazon, and it's adorable. It holds just enough for one person plus. And uh, I blend it all up, and I put it in a glass with a pretty straw, and that's my breakfast. So I'm not jealous. I'm with you, Suzanne. I, I think a milkshake is the way to go. Thank you very much for that strawberry. Oh, cool. Okay. Very cool strawberry. Okay. Jeff, where are you and what are you drinking today? I am in warm and sultry South Carolina today uh, in the city of Charleston visiting with one of my clients. And it was a very long weekend as we had a couple of clients cut over with some of the new technology we're talking about today. And mm-hmm. with that in mind, I'm drinking just a good old-fashioned black coffee. Truck stops yeah. home. Truck stop strong. Okay, so we used to call that high test. Is that what we're talking about here? Absolutely. Does it have a brand? You want to do a shout out? Oh uh, no! In this case, it's just whatever they have here in the client's office. With uh, I believe it's the Keurig machine, which is taking care of me today. There you go. Well, shout out to Keurig. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Thank you, panelists. We are going to take a break. Hopefully, the pause that refreshes when we going to come when we do come back. Robert Kugel and I will kick off the round table. We're talking today about continuous accounting. We will get into the definitions in case you don't know what they are, the advantages, and the concept here is this is going to put an end to rear view reporting or what I like to call an end to the green eye shade. And we will see if anybody wants to beat me up for that one. Maybe they're still wearing 
wearing them. They could be, I don't know, maybe either in your, your uh, wearable technology in your glasses. Maybe there's a built-in digital green eye shade, and people think that's cool. We're talking with Robert D. Kugel at Ventana Research. We're talking with Suzanne Ruloffs at EY in the Netherlands and Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect, Inc. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be Bonnie after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back speaking with Robert Kugel at Ventana, Suzanne Ruloff at EY, and Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect talking about continuous accounting and end to rear view reporting. I don't think there's a question mark after that. I think there's probably an exclamation point. So we're going to do a little level setting here on the topic and make sure everybody is on the same page, literally and figuratively. And Rob Kugel, I'm going to ask you to tell me, I'm looking at your notes here when you say continuing continuous accounting embraces three main principles. I'm not going to read it. I usually do read from the notes, but I'd like you to take us through them. What are the three main principles that we are discussing today? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people aren't familiar with this term because I only, I was the first person to start using this term and applying it to, to, to this concept. And it's wow. first about, that was about a, a year ago. And, and it's first about optimizing the accounting calendar. In other words, distributing workloads continuously over the accounting period, which either may mean the month, the quarter, or the year, in order to eliminate bottlenecks and optimize uh, when and which order accounting tasks are performed. The second is the need to automate mechanical, repetitive accounting processes in a continuous end-to-end fashion. Uh, Managing processes in a controlled end-to-end fashion improves efficiency, but it also ensures data integrity. And ensuring data integrity is crucial because the absence of data integrity is the root cause of a lot of time-consuming work that departments perform today. The third piece is establishing a culture of continuous improvement in managing the accounting cycle and the accounting department. A continuous improvement culture sets increasingly rigorous objectives, reviews performance to those objectives frequently, and makes addressing performance shortcomings a priority of the department. In other words, the antidote to, we've always done it this way. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So is this, is this uh, you were the first to start using it. Where did you come up with this? Just let's do a little bit of background here. Did you sit, sit around and say, well, it's time. The time has come. The walrus well, or somebody else said, and we, we have to embrace this, and this is going to be something that we can actually put a word around, put a phrase around, Robert. How did that all come together? Well, uh, it, 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 I'm sure everybody on this call has been beating their head against the wall uh, for some time now trying to uh, affect change in, in how uh, finance and accounting departments operate. And, and I thought taking a, a term like uh, a new term uh, that hasn't been used before, you know, like continuous accounting, and applying it to really a practical way of making change happen in, in, in this part of the corporation uh, was, it was at least worth trying as, as a way of focusing people on, on, on how you bring technology in a practical way into the finance function to improve performance. Thank you very much. Suzanne Ruloff's thoughts, uh, agree, disagree, anything you want to add? How familiar are you with the term and when did you start becoming aware of it and using it? Um, I agree, absolutely. Um, but in my opinion, the finance department becomes more and more a business partner. So if you have a look to the finance rule itself, it will be more specialized, more business focused, and less transactional. But on the other hand, if you look at the role of finance itself, real-time access to actual and historical data will further push development toward the business partners. So also that gives another view on it. Okay. Jeff Attendorf, what do you think? Well, so I've been aware of the term probably for, I don't know, eight, nine months, but we've mm-hmm. been preaching this message for years. And it's, I think the work that Richard has done and the, the term he coined is, is genius because it's, a, it's succinct and to the point and it, sorry, yeah. Robert. That's okay. And it focuses people on the right things. So what are those right things from your perspective in your work at MacroSpec? What do you see, uh, not just to repeat what Robert said, but what do you think are the basics of why this had to come, why it's here now, why it's important, why it's being embraced? Why are we even talking about it today? How important is it that we're doing a show about it? Jeff, what's your POV on that? I, I really think we're talking about it because technology is, is now at the point that it can deliver on the promise or the promises that have been made that, that were spoken about earlier for 20 years is that we can have data in real time or in near real time in some situations. I, I, I think you're right. It's going to be 10 years before everybody catches up um, because there's lots of companies with lots of different systems and it's an expensive proposition. But, but this idea that I can have my numbers today from today's activity across the enterprise lets me see and manage my business as the business is happening, not waiting and trying to course correct or drive my car down the highway by looking backwards. Okay. Do you agree that it's going to be the end to doing spreadsheets next to a green banking lamp with a green eye shade in the basement somewhere? Is this going to bring the profession, <laughs> CPAs, and account, that was my term, bring it into the light? Do you think companies are ready for this, Jeff, or still skeptical? No, I'm still skeptical, and I think they are as well. And, and we have clients that have really good systems. They, they have good reporting, even if it's backwards-looking reporting. But they still produce the red book or the green book or the white book or whatever color book it is under the green lampshade because that's what they did back in the 80s and 90s when they used dot matrix printers. And today when it's all electronic, they still produce those books out of habit because that's what they've always done. And it's going to take some, some new thinking about how the world works and how to analyze data for those things to stop. And I think that's just a, a matter of time and effort. 
Thank you. Robert, I'm going to go back to you. I have something in here that I think addresses the, the culture. I think we're talking about culture as well as the technology here. You say 10 years ago, accountants thought all they needed to do was be a good accountant. That wasn't true then, but you could get away with it. However, 10 years from now, people who have this attitude may be out of a job or at least a rewarding one that they like. Information technology is reshaping how companies keep their books, plan and budget, analyze and optimize pricing and assess performance. So what is happening? Let's just do a little culture check here. Robert Kugel, and I'll go around the table. Uh, I asked if people were skeptical, if they were aware of this, if they were hiding under a rock, if this was breaking news. But what about the people who were doing the work? The I, I don't want to say the mice turning the wheel. We used to use that expression in business. The ones who make the companies hum and make things happen. So, Robert, what happens to those accountants, to those CPAs? Will they be automatically out of a job when technology rears its beautiful head in the finance department? Uh, I, I think some of them that want to change uh, will have a, a very rewarding career. There are real limits to what you can do with information technology and automation generally, um, but people who uh, grow and adapt to the, uh, the new environment uh, are going to find that they have a far more rewarding uh, uh, profession. Um, an analogy might be in what happened to, uh, to drafting uh, with the development of computer-aided design and drafting and 3D design uh, initially. And I recall an era where uh, a, a lot of old-school uh, draftsmen, engineers, who could think in terms of, of, you know, three different views on a blueprint and could visualize a product, they had a hard time getting into, <clears throat> you know, 3D CAD. Ultimately, those folks disappeared. Uh, and uh, they retired or they were pushed out because they couldn't adapt to working with these new computer systems. They were replaced by people who learned in school or, or who had developed this skill over, you know, uh, because they saw it was a future. And, and those people went on to, uh, uh, to a new design environment that was, uh, it, to my mind, epitomized when uh, Boeing uh, created the, the 777 back in the 1990s uh, before that, uh, Boeing had always created a wooden mock-up of every single passenger plane uh, model that uh, it designed. And with the 777, they did away with that because mm. they didn't have to. You could just mm -hmm. look at the computer screen and see that when you closed the door, it didn't bang into something. As we wanted it to not do. Thank you very much. Suzanne, what do you think about this culture change for finance? Is it disruptive in a good way or bad way from, from your part of the world? What do you see? Are they ready for this? Are they ready to have different interpretations of the career they started out with, some of these people many years ago? What are you observing? Um, first of all, I'm working for EY, and our core business is accounting. So uh, hopefully <laughs> that will stay for a while. Um, but here, I think it's not different in, in the Europe area. Um, yeah, so I fully agree with, with the comments from Robert, um, and I see that it's going in the same way, in the same direction. What about millennials? Are you a millennial, Suzanne? I'm looking at your picture, and there's a good chance you're a millennial, which I think would may. I don't think anybody would be offended if I'll say you're definitely the youngest one on this, on this show today. So what, what are you seeing, Suzanne? Are young people entering the profession and saying, wow, continuous accounting, we're getting good data, we're able to take a snapshot of the business right now, no more sitting around grinding out 
tedious reports that may be so passe, they're completely useless the minute they hit the paper or the screen. Are you seeing an excitement in the profession, Suzanne? Um, I think I'm from the from the digital period, yes. Um, but I think, and I'm looking right now, a lot is changing, and the in-memory technology reduced runtime for a lot of things. It's collecting data more, and we created all a single source of fruit in our finance overviews. Um, so we, we have dashboarding. We can work with self-service. The, the data is anytime, anywhere, and so... It, that's changing, and that's that's what we should use, I think. Thank you. Jeff Hattendorf, thoughts on the culture aspect of our conversation? What do you see? Well, I think from Robert's voice, he, he nailed it when he talked about people have to adapt to the change. And if you think about Y2K and the number of programmers that were, and, and if you're not a programmer, never were, there was, there was a large army of people who had spent their career leading up to the year 2000 rewriting programs written in the 70s and 80s. The moment that was over, the, the coding languages had changed in the 90s, and they had nothing else to do in the, in the aughts, and they had to learn new things. And I think that's the same challenge that, that accountants are going to face today. But I will say, in line with what Suzanne was mentioning, is that most of the accounting folks I work with mm-hmm. are, are, are excited or at least optimistic that things are getting better. Um, it's not universal. They still have some hard feelings and, and doubts about how much the technology can really deliver. But when they can consolidate the numbers and begin to look at them, even in a review fashion, in a matter of hours rather than days or weeks, mm-hmm. they're beginning to see the improvement. And I, I think they're becoming hopeful that their job will be less about linking spreadsheets and more about really understanding how the business works, which is much more fulfilling, as Robert was mentioning at the start. Thank you. That, that's what I was looking for. Robert, anything you want to add? Because I'm ready to go to something from Suzanne's notes. Anything you'd like to wrap up on this part of our topic? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it, it's going to change people's attitudes at the end of this process. It will change people's attitudes as to what the job of the accountant is because it will have changed. And it will attract people who are much more open to change. Okay. Do you think millennials are going to fill most of those jobs? Do you think some of the older folks are going to be able to morph and change and embrace innovation and say, wow, I was really bored. Now I'm excited about my job again. What do you think? Sorry. I, I, I don't want to be too prejudiced about this. I think, you know, a lot of old fogies can learn new tricks, but I do believe uh, people coming into the profession uh, are, are just better equipped to, uh, to deal with the technology. Which means there's more competition for jobs. Is that what you're saying? Um, I, I think some jobs are going to disappear because I think an awful lot of the busy work that people do in accounting departments isn't necessary. Uh, they need to do more serious work, but then you need the people who can do the more serious work. There you go. There you go. Thanks. That's where I was trying to get. I appreciate that, Suzanne Ruloff. So I'm looking at your notes, and I'm going all the way down to the bottom of the list here. Something I find interesting and maybe a little controversial, and we'll see what your co-panelists think. You say real-time closing and gain a single source of financial truth. That's what we're talking about. But then you say it doesn't make sense in all industries. So why don't you give us a little background on this, Suzanne? What industries wouldn't this be good for and why? And then we'll, we'll see what Robert and Jeff have to say. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that doesn't make sense in all industries. Um, in terms of a daily allocation and real-time um, P&Ls, it's, it's also have to keep in mind that invoices can still arrive at month end. Um, and also accru- accruals are posted at month end. But if I look to different industries, 
for example, in the telecom industry, um, it's completely different. In the assurance industry as well. So um, it, it depends on, on how you want to run and how you run the business. Um, when your invoice is coming in, when you will pay everything, when you will make your accruals. Um, so that's important um, if it makes sense if you have real-time closing or not. But the world is changing, and I think um, we have currently, um, most of the companies currently do have a, a month-end closing and cost a lot of time to close their books. Um, some companies are already choosing for soft-close at month-end. Um, that saves already some time as well. Um, but yeah, I think it will move more to real-time closing. But in my opinion, it doesn't make sense right now already for all industries. You have to change your, your business or the way you're doing business if this will also will make sense. Thank you, Suzanne. I like that. Uh, something I think we might get a little good discussion out of this. Jeff Hattendorf, agree or disagree? What do you? What's your view of different industries in real-time closing? Is it is it one size fits all or one style fits all? I'm not sure that it's one size fits all, but the ability to have data in real time is a benefit to every industry and, and frankly, every company. So I disagree with that point. But it's a fair point to say that not every company is ready to make this change. And there's a lot of complexity in even getting the data to one source when you talk about large multinational global companies that have five, six, seven instances of, of different ledgers. So until we solve the problem of getting all the data into one place, it's hard to get to that point. But that should be the goal because the, the value of having the information at your fingertips as the business is happening, and not all the information is relevant in real time. Some of it's okay at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. But I want to know where my sales are today. I want to know where my collections are today. I want to know what my payables are so that I can manage the cash in my business and, and manage the overall projections that I've made and our ability to actually perform against those projections on a day-to-day -day basis and not look back in time. Okay, I was hoping we get some prov provocative conversation here. Robert Kugel, I'm not going to let you be King Solomon and pick one or the other, but do you want to sit on the fence or do you want to agree with both or talk to me? Well, I, I, I think it really is a matter of how evolved your systems are to be able to support, in the end, you know, uh, real, real-time reporting and real-time reporting um, has to have a definition behind it, which is to say um, there are a whole lot of allocations that I'm not going to be doing on it on a daily basis. I may choose to do it weekly, uh, or I may just say that's a month-end item. Uh, I can get a lot closer mm -hmm. to the truth uh, or something that's really relevant and important on a day-to-day -day basis uh, once I've been able to centralize uh, the information in a way that makes it utterly reliable. Um, so I'm, I'm being a bit, uh, you know, King Solomon here uh, mm -hmm. in, in the sense that there, there's, we have an awful long way to go to make this a reality. Uh, but I think we have the technology uh, that can do it. And we need to make sure, you know, getting back to that second point I raised, we need to make sure that people understand that uh, ultimately the goal of maintaining data integrity in the design and operation of these systems is what's going to make uh, continuous accounting, uh, real-time availability of, of information, uh, a practical reality. Uh, you can have all of this, uh, except that a lot of people are still fooling around in spreadsheets, uh, pulling numbers together, and uh, you're, you're not going to have 
uh, reliable information in real time. And, and let's just focus this for a second, Robert. We go around the panel. I do have some notes I want to pull out from Jeff Hattendorf's comment to me before the show. But uh, what about competitiveness? What about if, let's say, we take an industry, anything, and, and the big players, or even the new, the startups are saying, continuous accounting, that's for me. Man, that's giving me my snapshot, my strategic business decisions, my look ahead, my predictions. I'm going to be right. I'm going to know. I've got trend analysis. I can look ahead and say, this is what I'm going to do to stay ahead, to conquer the market, to new new products, new services, new strategies. And then you've got the laggards that are saying, well, maybe no hurry. We're still the leader in the industry. Is this a wake-up call, Robert, for companies that are saying, I'm not ready for it. It sounds like uh, fancy schmancy new technology, and we're still good where we are. Is this going to be a wake-up call? It ought to be a wake-up call, Uh, but let me also caution that I think the impacts uh, will take time to work through because uh, there's an element of change management here. Yes, you've got the information, but no, you're doing these things, everything the same way. Well, having the you know information available isn't going to affect how you make decisions. Um, a lot of of, I, of the benefits are going to come uh, uh, gradually over time. Just as when when folks started to adopt ERP systems, uh, the benefits uh, took several years uh, to work their way through the system. Uh, and, you know, we did manage to de-layer uh, management structures throughout the 1990s in most of the developed world. Uh, as a result of that, um, in part because of the uh, availability of ERP systems, though I don't think anybody out there credits ERP uh, with that kind of important uh, improvement in efficiency. Okay, thank you very much. Suzanne, you started this, a very interesting conversation. What's your thought? Is this a competitive advantage for industries that are saying, well, we could still get away with not doing it? Or What's your thought? How competitive a tool is this going to be, com- com- continuous accounting? Excuse me. Um, I agree with, with that there is no one-fits-all solution um, but we have to deal with different industries and different way of business, doing business. Um, so, yeah, on the other hand, we have the technology available. And if we talk about, for example, in memory technology, it doesn't make sense what kind of business or sector you're in. So we should combine the right combination of the possibilities, the way of working of the business and uh, the technology. Okay. Jeff, thoughts from Macrospect? It's speed of information, and speed of information is always a value to the business. It doesn't make any difference what the industry is, what the department is. Having the information sooner empowers you to make better decisions more quickly. And we have a client that doesn't even hasn't even gotten close to continuous accounting, but they simply went to in-memory technology, and they have a report that they could only run if it if it completed once a week. It took 24 hours to run, but they're in a high volume, low margin business. And the bad information that they were making decisions on from that report that didn't always run often mm-hmm. led them to ship orders that lost money because of the shipping costs. Well, after they've upgraded technology and started to make this move in this direction, because they have the information faster now on a daily basis, they don't lose money because they've shipped using the wrong shipping method. There's a real tangible impact on the bottom line to having information at your fingertips right away. 
Thank you. That's exactly the type of example I was looking for. And Jeff, while I have you here in the hot seat for a moment, I have some questions, comments for you. Looking at your notes you sent me, and here's something I like. You say, continuous accounting is just the beginning of a strategic finance organization. Now, this is something we talk about frequently on actually almost all of our episodes here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. It's time for finance to step up, to take that rightful, important seat at the table at the C-suite. It's time for them to be a, a steward of the business, to be more than just the keeper of the report. So talk to me. Continuous accounting, you say, is just the beginning. What's next? What's part of this becoming truly strategic? Well, it's it's almost embarrassing. I think if I if I was one of the companies in the world today that still manages and measures my business with just spreadsheets, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm still surprised at the number of companies that that work that way and they think they've done an okay job. We're still talking about this. You're, it's coming up on your shows frequently because you know, companies won't commit to making this happen. It's an investment. You have to have the technology in place, and it's it's it has to be part IT, part finance. But if you're the CFO of a company and you want to make a difference, if you want to help lead the business, you have to help the business make better decisions. And it's, we talked about earlier, the operational drivers as well as the financials to get to the, the full balance scorecard. The people in the front lines can't really impact the financials, but they drive and they control those operational drivers. If you as the office of the CFO, the CFO and their team, put the tools in place that lets the people in the front lines see their metrics and know how they're impacting the business on the front lines from an operational standpoint, that will drive the financials for the business. And so the CFO has the ability, and quite frankly, the budget in most cases, to make the call to make these investments to give the business the the ability to measure itself in real time. And and I say real time, that's a little bit of a misnomer. We typically refer to it as just-in-time, borrowing from the just-in-time manufacturing ideas because you don't need all the information in real time. As we talked about, some can be done monthly, some can be done quarterly, but sooner is always better. Thank you very much. Also very provocative. Robert Kugel, do you agree that companies that still rely on spreadsheets solely should be embarrassed and how strategically a finance department has to become soon? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, I think the spreadsheet is the key uh, 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 barrier uh, to achieving a more strategic finance organization. Um, in part because um, it wastes people's time as they're working with it. If they could be working in a with you know letting an enterprise system or or some computer system automate that process, but also because of the errors uh, that traditionally or uh, as our research has shown, you know there's there are always errors in spreadsheets, and because of that you don't have uh, you don't ensure data quality in the design of your system. So then you have uh, a lot of folks spending uh, their first and second year working in an accounting department uh, doing nothing but checks and reconciliations, uh, wasting their time on a soul-deadening job that uh, really should not exist because you can get rid of of, uh, most of these spreadsheets. So um, I I agree that uh, CFOs ought to be uh, very concerned, I don't know about embarrassed, but very concerned with the number of spreadsheets that are out there that are, be, that are doing something that, that shouldn't be done in a spreadsheet. It should be done in some sort of an automated system. 
Very provocative. Okay, so we went from embarrassed, we toned it down a little bit. Suzanne Ruloffs at EY, what do you think about this? Embarrassment, uh, stubbornness, uh, should they be ready to just toss out those old handy spreadsheets? Those What did, what did you say, mind-numbing, Robert? Mind-numbing Soul-deadening. Soul-deadening. Well, I, w- <laughs> I was trying to tone it down a little bit. Soul-deadening, I like mind-numbing better. Now we've put both out there for the world. Suzanne, join us. What do you think? I think the real-time information becomes more and more key. Um, If you see if the business can steer their business in a better way and respond, for example, directly on financial losses, they can also can take the role of a business partner in that case. So it becomes more and more important to steer the business in the right direction and in the most fast way. Thank you very much. Let's go back to Jeff. Uh, at the other side of the table. Jeff, we've had some comments from your colleagues. What do you think? <laughs> All right, so maybe I, maybe I was too strong on the idea of the spreadsheet and, and embarrassment, but the, the point there is I understand, and I, I work with spreadsheets every day, that it's become the, the language of business. It's, it's, in, it's incumbent on the CFO to get the data out of the spreadsheets. If it's there for presentation, if it's there for analysis or some ad hoc use of the data, I don't have any problem with that. But when the spreadsheet is treated like a database and we mail spreadsheets across email and then we link them together, then we're using that tool for the wrong purpose. And the CFO is not completely on the hook alone here. The software manufacturers, and, and there's a move from all the big manufacturers in this direction, but I think they're slow to do this. They have to put better tools in the hands of users that users can use without people like me helping them do it. The reason Excel is so popular is because everyone who went to business school and even those who didn't can do some work in Excel. But my point is, if your data is being stored in Excel, if it's being managed in Excel and not just analyzed and reported, then you're going down the wrong path and it's time to, time to make a change in your systems and move towards a more efficient process, enabling the business to make better decisions and hold your breath, maybe someday you can use that data to begin to predict where the business is going and not just measure it where it is today. Thank you very much. Rob, I'm going to have you make one more comment about that. We're almost approaching the crystal ball predictions round. And Robert Kugel, let me ask you, we were talking about the term you coined about a year ago, continuous accounting. Anything else you want the listeners to know about what this means, how to come on board the bandwagon, what the time, ta- how much time it takes to embrace this principle, to regardless of what software you are or are not using, what technology you have or have not let in the door or in the basement, as it were, uh, any any words of wisdom before we go to our predictions? Well, I, I, I would. This sort of change starts at the top, so I believe it's absolutely essential in any organization for the chief financial officer and the um, uh, controller uh, of a company uh, to uh, understand and embrace um, the three concepts. Uh, the um, you know managing processes continuously uh, across uh, periods. There's no real reason anymore uh, to have uh, you know month end uh, 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 functions because uh, if you, you you can do this continuously now with technology uh, over the uh, over the period rather than just at the end of the period. Uh, it's important to understand how misuse of technology uh, has a very negative impact on accounting operations uh, and therefore 
you know, getting rid of the bad technology uh, will really help increase the efficiency of the, uh, of, of the accounting and finance organization and make, you know, strategic much more uh, practical and much more of a possibility. Um, I think one of the differences, important differences between finance and other functions in the organization is that in finance, it's the little stuff that winds up being strategic. You know, for want of a nail, the, the shoe was lost, for want of the shoe, et cetera, and the empire was lost. Well, it really does come back to paying attention to just this, you know, small ball in the weed stuff, getting that right has a multiplier effect throughout the finance and accounting organization and enables uh, a transformation. Finally, absolutely essential that, you know, at the top, the idea that we're not going to do things the same way. The most expensive six words in the you know, finance function is we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. That has to change. You have to do things, the right things, over and over again um, in exactly the same manner. That is the essence of, of, of good management in any part of the business. But it's important to understand that business changes, and you yes. have to be constantly looking for ways to improve how you do things. Thank you, Robert. I'm ready for predictions, but I have a quick comment to make. You made a comment. I think you said a business that is staying staying behind these strategic times and, and uh, ignoring or denying. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Anyway, the point was they lose the empire, and I'm going to pick up a quote from, from Jeff, and the empire will strike back. So there we go. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's just lurking in the back corners of my mind. So I can give you each about 45 seconds. For, I'm so sorry. I had to. 45 seconds for... Uh, uh, yeah, like Lucy Ball, I'm a crazy redhead, but I, I act and sing and dance, but I, I, I don't model. Anyway, so Robert Kugel, predictions, 45 seconds. Tell me what point in the future will something change about this topic for good or bad or worse? So go ahead, Rob, predictions. I think it's beginning now. I think it's going to take place uh, to become mainstream within the next five to ten years. Uh, and in, in ten years, people will look back on the way things they were doing things before and, and marvel that they could still stay in business. Okay, thank you very much, and I, I'm uh, very appreciative for all of your comments and in introducing us to this today. Suzanne Ruloff's predictions, I can give you oh, a whole minute because Robert was so concise. So what have you got? How far in the future and what's going to change, Suzanne? I think the world is changing, and it's going really, really fast. Um, so I think every company do have a vision 2020. Um, at least that's what I've seen. But we are currently already surprised by the new possibilities of tomorrow. So we'll watch what's coming and what's coming soon. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, Suzanne. Really appreciate your insights. And let's turn to Mr. Macrospect. And uh, by the way, every time I read that you co-founded the company with Randy Marvel, I think of a comic book. I don't know. How did he get that name? Was that a stage name, Jeff? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a family name. He's, uh, it's actually Carl, but he goes by Randall or Randy from his middle name. Okay. All right. We'll take that. So what are your predictions? What's coming down the pike for continuous for the empire striking back or striking at all? What's happening? Well, so I think that we're going to see smaller and mid-sized companies that are more flexible do the things that everyone's talked about today and, and, and move towards continuous accounting or just-in-time reporting. Bigger firms, and I'll pick on Microsoft. Microsoft is a cash cow. They generate lots of free cash flow. And even if they don't adapt, they'll buy somebody who's competing with them because they can. So there's going to be, I think Robert's right, there's going to be 10 years where 
we had a lot of big companies take a lot a long time to do this and it's there's cultural reasons if it ain't broke don't fix it is a view a lot of people take and then there's just practical data reasons when you're a multi-billion dollar company in the world today and you own lots of other companies around the world and you have lots of systems getting the data into one place is a challenge and there's not a perfect answer for that yet it's just basic blocking and tackling and hard work to make that happen Thank you very much. All three panelists, wonderful speaking with the three of you. Suzanne, I hope you enjoyed your time with us. And Robert, pleasure to have you back. Don't stay away so long. And Jeff, the same thing for you. We are just about at that moment in time. Robert, any quick closing words about uh, continuous accounting? Have you copyrighted the term? Are you protecting it? Uh, Absolutely not. Everybody should use it as freely (laughs) as they want. You are a good soul. Okay, I'm going to say thank you to Elizabeth Milne, who's out there tweeting somewhere. We've had a good Twitter party here at hashtag SAP Radio. I think I banged out about 25 tweets while I was hosting the show, and I hope I got the words right, and you're all free to take a look and say, no, that's not what I meant, and we'll go retract it. So I appreciate that. Robert D. Kugel, Ventana Research. Always a pleasure, Robert. Thanks for some very interesting concept. Suzanne Ruloffs at EY. Give a shout-out and a thank you to everybody at EY. We're always welcoming you and your organization here on Game Changers. And Jeff Hattendorf, say hello to Carl <laughs> and Randy and all, all those good people at Mac Respect. And thank you also for your input. And as I say, Elizabeth Milne helped put this together. Elizabeth, you did a great job. Wonderful panel. And a shout-out to Chris Grundy at SAP, who sponsors this series. We're almost at the end of the season for financial excellence. But I, I word has it on the street that they'll be coming back for season six sometime in 2017. So as my grandmother used to say we should all live and be well and I know Chris will be back so here's my call to action and if you're on the on the edge of considering continuous accounting this call to action may help you right the right way right now fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today have a great one I'll be back tomorrow with a live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers on radical resiliency that's what you're going to need for continuous accounting have a great day bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.